Welcome to the World Video Bible School Podcast. This month, we have been focusing on the home. The past two weeks, we have focused on building a Christ-centered home. Putting Christ first in our homes provides a good spiritual foundation for our families that we can build upon, especially for our children. For the next two weeks, we'll be focusing on raising our children. This two-part program, Building Great Kids, is full of practical, plain advice for parents. Have you ever wondered how to have a successful Bible time with your children? or how to prepare your children for tough faith challenges they will face. Join Glenn Colley in this first lesson on how to build great kids. The goal for raising kids is pretty simple for Christians to state. It's that we want to raise happy, faithful, productive Christians. I want you to get to the place, parent, where, where it's really easy for you to define what success is with reference to your children. Success is living your life and going to heaven. Failure, no matter what else is true, is living your life and not going to heaven. Psalm 127 says, Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman wakes but in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early and stay up late to eat the bread of sorrow, for so He gives His beloved sleep. Lo, children are in heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is His reward. As arrows are in the hands of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Happy is that man who has his quiver full. They shall not be ashamed. They'll speak with the enemies in the gates. Now what that says is that you and I don't have enough human, human ingenuity to build a successful home without God. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Now, as we start this discussion about rearing faithful kids and keeping our children unspotted from the world, I want to acknowledge something that you already know is true. I mean, if you have two, if you have more than one child, you know that all children are different. And I, I really understand that children have to be treated in unique ways because kids are unique. However, we're going to talk about some principles today which I think you'll be able to apply to your children in some productive way to rear them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Now let's start with this. Children grow best when reared by both a mother and a father who love them. I understand that there may, not be a, there may be cases where that's not possible. However, I think we need to acknowledge that's the best. I want to talk about seven matters today. Seven matters of rearing our kids in the Lord. And the first one is matters of knowledge. In Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4, the Bible says, Now fathers, provoke not your children to wrath but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. How, how, do you, how do you put knowledge in your kids? I mean, if your kids are going to grow up to be faithful Christians, it's not going to be by osmosis. It's not, kids don't catch faith like they catch a cold. It'll be because you made deliberate, deliberate decisions to put things in them. So let me make some suggestions. Family Bible time. It's not complicated. It just means that every night, or depending on your schedule, perhaps in the day, but sometime during the day, set aside a few minutes every single day to have family, we, we would call it story time or Bible time with, with, your, with your kids. Now you need to be flexible about what you do. Different things, different days. Some, some days you might just have singing and some days why you, uh, you might do a Bible game where you, you let them sit down on their bottoms in the kitchen on the floor and, and you say, now I'm going to ask you a question, then I'll ask you a question. 
make them age appropriate. And if you answer the question right, you get two bottom scoots. And whoever gets to me first gets an award. And make the award, don't give them a bicycle, but make it something like uh, you get to go to, you get to stay up five minutes later before bedtime. And oh, they'll do a lot for that. But make it fun. And then, and then some nights, what you're going to do is to, is to, is to study specific subjects. Now, here's the way I think you should handle this. Uh, dads, God has, has made you the spiritual leaders of your home. What if, you, what if you took a legal pad, or you can do this on your computer, it, it doesn't matter, but suppose you created a living document. By living, I mean it continues to grow and change. And, and what if you made a list of the things that you really wanted to make sure your kids knew before they grow up and leave you. So, so what kinds of things would be on your list? I'm talking about, of course, things with spiritual ramifications. What kinds of things do you want to make sure they know that they know that they know? And, and then let's put them on that list. And then in the evenings, you're going to, from time to time, take something from that list. Tonight, we're going to talk about this. Now, now on the list, you, you might have things like, uh, I want them to know that there is one true and living God. I want them to know about Jesus Christ and that Jesus came to this earth and He is our Savior and He established His church. I want them to know about that church and why it is what it is, that it's not a denomination, it's, it's the body of Christ. And I want them to know about property rights and what the Bible has to say. Let him that stole steal no more, but let him labor with his hands the thing which is good. I want them I want them to know about marriage and divorce and remarriage. I mean, you know the time to learn about what Jesus says about this subject is before you ever think about getting married. I want them to know about what makes a good husband or what makes a good wife. So, so think about the list. I, I think it could be a long list. And some nights, some nights in your story time, you say now, and, and I'm talking about dads, a, a dad will say, tonight we're going to talk about what the Bible says about other people's property and about why stealing is wrong and, and how the golden rule applies and, and things such as that. We're talking about a family Bible time and the, the objective here is that we would put into our children knowledge of the things of God. Now, there are a lot of helps that you can order. Apologetics Press, I think, does a terrific job of producing children's material that will be good for this. You can look on a website called Collie Books and there's a lot of children's things on there that I think might be helpful. All right, so the first thing is the matter of knowledge. Now, here's the second one. Matters of fidelity. Fidelity. Now, there are two areas you particularly want to teach your children fidelity. The first one is the church and the Lord, of course. Now, Proverbs 22 and 6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he'll not depart from it. Now, there's a difference between teaching something and training a child in something, right? I mean, you, you, you think about baseball. You, you, you could take a book, I suppose, and give it to your son who is 10, and you could say, now read this book and you'll understand baseball. But that would be different. That would be teaching, I suppose, but it would be different from training. Training is when you take him out in the yard and you say, now, now I want you to hold the ball like this. And when you throw it, I want you to point your fingers where you want that ball to go. Now, don't, don't, no, no, don't, don't hold the bat like that. Here, move it up like this and swing square. That, that would be training him. Now, what the Bible says in Proverbs 22, 6 is that we're to train up our children in the way that they should go. You've got to teach them fidelity to the Lord. And I suppose there are a number of ways that, that you're going to be doing this. And one of them 
is, is in reference to the worship assembly in Bible classes. I know that Christianity is made up of more than just coming to worship in Bible classes. I really understand that. But I want to say this to you. It seems to me that one of the most tangible ways that we teach putting the Lord first is by prioritizing our worship and, and Bible classes. I mean, when the doors are open, that, that we're going to be there. And now, I tell you what's going to happen is that through your children's growing years, there are going to be challenges to that. I, I think there are going to be homework challenges. There are going to be sports if your kids are involved in sports or band or, or whatever it happens to be. And I'm, I'm in favor of all those things. I think there are going to be challenges. Are we going to go this Wednesday night to Bible study, uh, to, to our worship, uh, in view of the fact that we have this, this big practice or we have this big test on Thursday or whatever it is. I hope that the Lord provides you with challenges to this because that's teachable. That, that creates teachable moments for your children. For example, you say, uh, you know, we, got, we, we don't miss worship except uh, for, for a really big ball game. Yeah, then, then, of course, we would. We don't miss worship for, for schoolwork unless we have, well, a really big, te big test the following day, and then, then we, would, we would miss, I suppose, we would miss worship. Let me tell you something. Your, your kids are, I, I speak from experience, your, your kids are going to grow up and they're going to leave you and they're going to be adults and I can promise you that the challenges they're going to face to serving the Lord, it's not going to be about baseball and it's not going to be about homework, it's going to be about big things. And how will your children have developed the backbone to be, able, to be able to put the Lord first and make the right decisions. And I'm just saying that, that making sure that you're faithful to Bible class and worship, I mean, that's a, that's a tangible way that your children can grow and understand that we, we put the Lord first. We put Him first. And, and if you have to sacrifice for that, I, I know the argument. The argument goes that I don't think we should push it down their throats, this religion thing, you know. I've never been very sympathetic with that argument. I mean, after all, we, we don't feel that way about other things, do we? I mean, you don't, I, I suppose if we, if we did, boys would never take baths. <laughs> if you, you don't give them a choice about that, do you? You don't say, I, you, since you don't want to take a bath, I don't think you have to because I don't, I'm afraid that if I push this idea down your throat when you grow up, you'll, you know, you'll resent it, you'll never take a bath, so I'm going to let you decide well, yeah, that's silly. Of course it's silly. I don't know why we wouldn't apply the same law. Brussels sprouts. Eh? Brussels sprouts. Your, your children probably wouldn't choose to eat vegetables, especially like those. What do you say about that? You say, well, I, I want you to eat some of that because in my mind, I want you to grow up and, and, and like vegetables, and so that's why I impose my will on you. Well, why shouldn't the same thing apply to the, the thing that is, frankly, the most important of all? which is their spiritual well-being. So what I'm saying to you is that, that we must teach them fidelity. We must teach them fidelity in other ways too, not just worship. What if you involve your children in spiritual family projects? Now, I'm not talking about things that the church does. I'm in favor of those things and you, you all being involved in those things. But separate and apart from that, what if you do things just as a family that are of spiritual nature. And uh, I mean, for example, what if, you, what if you choose a widow or two from your congregation and you make them your family widows and uh, you, you find out things that they need and, and you go and you rake those leaves with your children. You, you go and you sweep the porch or you go and you, 
you clean the drive, whatever she happens to, you take her groceries, whatever she happens to need. It's not about the church. It's not about some church program. This is our family. This is a family project. What if you, what if you chose a missionary, some, some faithful man in, in Ukraine or, or in Zimbabwe, and, and you, you start sending him a little money? Have your children send some of their allowance. Now don't give them extra. Make sure it's something out of their allowance. And, 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 you, and, and, and they may want to dictate letters. Let them. Let them write. Let them ask their questions. What do you wear over there? What kind of food do you eat? What, what do the children look like? Or whatever it is. Let them ask their childish questions. And what will happen is you'll start getting letters back from that missionary. He'll love it. And you put money in there to help support his work. And he'll send the answers back. And let me tell you something. You're, you're going to have... Going to have story times some nights when you say we got a letter today from brother somebody over there in our mission work, and you open it up and you watch those children listen. And he's going to say in that letter, "Yesterday, two more precious souls were baptized into Christ," and your children are going to be excited about that. Do you know why? Well, you do. It's because why well, they had a part in that. You see that he's their missionary, and and they're excited about that. Now. That's a family project. It's not about the church. I mean, I, you, you love the works of the church, but here's something beyond that. It's, it's that I want to rear my children to love the Lord and to love His work. And to do that, this is something that we do as a family. All right, we're talking about fidelity. Let's talk now about, about fidelity to the family itself. Two things I said, and one is fidelity to the Lord's work, and the other is fidelity to the family. We've got to communicate this in a way that children understand. Do you know that today people are getting married later and later? I mean, statistically people do. And why is that true? Well, I don't think it's so wrong. I mean, the Bible doesn't obligate us to get married. And sometimes people get married later in life because of personal preference. But that's not all. There's a trend going on here. Sometimes it's because people don't wait until marriage to have sex. They're not they're therefore driven to marriage in a way that they would have otherwise been. Sometimes it's feminism, feminism teaching, you know, that there's no distinction between the, the different roles that we're all equal in every conceivable way. And that, you know, I, th I think that is a deterrent to marriage. Sometimes it's about the fact that in a lot of the kids' minds, marriage and divorce are synonymous terms because that's how they grew up and, and they have a negative, a negative opinion of marriage. Uh, my, my daughter taught public high school. I asked her, what percentage of your students come from broken homes? And she said, about 90%. Well, you take a generation like that and you say, let me tell you how good marriage is. They may tell you something to the contrary. And what these all have in common is a resistance to committing to one person for life. They don't understand fidelity. Listen, I, I want to teach that. To, I want to teach fidelity to my children about our home. Now, dads, what that means is, I think in practical terms, is that you'd, you've got to spend time with your children. Do you know how your kids spell love? They spell it T-I-M-E. I, I recently was, was on a program with our grown son who is in his 20s. And it was a panel and, and the, the host was asking questions of the sons. And one of the questions was about what you remember most about with your dad growing up and what helped you. I don't remember just how it was phrased, but, but uh, our, our son said, 
my dad would come, come home for, for lunch and after we had our sandwich, we'd rush outside when the weather was permitting and we'd throw the baseball together. And that was very important. Now look, I, I don't know how to express how glad I am that I did that. I, I, don't, I, I enjoyed it and I enjoy being with him, but I can't turn the clock back. And had I not done the, those things, I, I, I couldn't fix that now. At the time, I was very, very busy, and I'm just, I don't know, I'm just so glad that I did it. Listen, dads, spend time with your kids. Always keep your word with your kids. Always, always be involved in their lives and let them know that you're involved and you love them. Now, moms, if we're going to teach fidelity to our, our children, we've got to demonstrate to them that we have this fidelity, this attachment to our homes. I'm going to say something that is, uh, frankly, controversial. I, I, I don't say it for that reason, but I say it despite that. I, I want to urge you to raise your own babies. Ra raise your own kids. Don't, don't farm your kids out to other people to raise. Titus 2 and verse 4, the older women are to teach the younger women to love their husbands, love their children, and to be keepers at home. I, I want you, mom, to be the one to answer his questions, the little childish questions that are so, so little yet so important. I, I want you to be the one to blow his skin knees. I, wa I want you to be the one to show her how to put that dress on that Barbie. There, there are no close seconds to mother. She, she has those babies in her heart. And you say, well, well, what about grandmother? You know, grandmother, she, she raised me uh, in a good way. And I think she, she does a great job with, uh, with taking care of my kids. Listen, I, I understand that grandmothers are wonderful, but, but grandmothers are not mothers. Only mothers have eyes in the back of their heads. One grandmother said to me recently, she's raising her grandkids because, well, you know, she said, I know that I don't discipline like their mother. I want you to repeat this after me. Only a mother can love like a mother. In Titus chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, this is called sound doctrine, that the older women would teach the younger women to prioritize their families, to, to prioritize their children, that they may teach the younger women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, and chaste and keepers at home and good and obedient to their own husbands. Watch now, here's the punch, that the Word of God be not blasphemed. I think it's interesting that God could have placed a, a woman's childbearing years on the old end of her life rather than on the young end. Wouldn't that have fit better with where American society is today? We could make the money, we could get financially settled and then we could have the babies, but that's not what God did. One Christian mother said to me, I'd as soon give my wifely responsibilities to another woman as to give my motherly, my motherly responsibilities to another woman. The point is that, that one of the main matters that I, I'm suggesting we need to teach our children if we're going to rear them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord and to keep them unspotted from the world, we've got to teach them fidelity to the home. Dads have to do that by prioritizing their families over their jobs. We've got to work the job, but the job is, is a means toward an end, and the end is taking care of my family. I can't get that backwards. And mothers teach it by showing fidelity themselves to their own families and homes. Now here's number three. The third matter is the matter of discipline. 
why do you, why do you think the parents struggle with this? Why don't, why don't parents do better with discipline than they seem to do sometimes today? Well, I think there's a variety of reasons. One is that, that some were never disciplined themselves as children, and they just didn't grow up knowing how to do it. Sometimes, yeah, you have a parent who says, look, I, I tried to be a disciplinarian with my first child, and I just, I think I was just a failure at it. It just didn't seem to work out, and, and I just, I backed off of that. Or, of course, sometimes you have parents with a more liberal mindset who say, I just don't believe in it. I don't want to squash the creative genius of my children, and I don't, I don't want to do that. I think that, I think that we shouldn't restrain them so much. And so what we have in our country and perhaps others as well is, is this debate that goes on right now about, about discipline, and often it's about corporal punishment. So is it right to, to, to spank your kids? I, I think that spanking as a form of discipline, and this is a personal opinion, is a great form of discipline. Because it, it says to your children, what you did was wrong, and, and now this is unpleasant, but now let's go on with our day, right? And, and by the way, if you choose to do this particular action again, well, there's more where that came from, and I'll be willing to deliver that. Spanking um, is viewed by some people as being child abuse. Let me just say this plainly to you. Child abuse, sexual, emotional, physical, whatever, Child abuse is from hell. Spanking and other forms of discipline, like discipline, from loving parents in appropriate measures at appropriate times, that's from heaven. Uh, we had some good friends when we were having our babies, and, and as a matter of fact, they were having theirs at the same time. Their philosophy of parenting was very different from ours. They, they would suggest that what we should do is to save our knows, that is telling a child no, for the big things. That, the, the philosophy went that if you, if you went around with a child, don't do this, don't, no, don't do this, don't do that, and all of those, you, you know that, that it just loses its effectiveness. What you do is you wait until the big things happen, and, and then you pull out the, the no, which of course is a recipe for disaster. When, when should spanking happen? When should it happen? And the answer is that, that you don't spank a child the first time he does a thing that is wrong. What you do is you teach him first. You say, here's, here's the way. When, when I say this, this is what I want you to do. When I say stop that, here's what I mean for you to do. Spanking is reserved for challenges of the will. And you're going you're gonna to face that as parents. I, I mean, you, you, you did it when you were a child. I think, I think all of us did. I think we all, growing up, we had to figure out that our parents' will was going to win over our own will, and, and a child's going to try to figure that out. You may say to your child, uh, don't, don't, don't touch that lamp. And, and you know, there's going to come a day when he's going to look at you and smile, and he's going to reach over and grab that lamp. He, he, what he's doing is saying, you know what, I, I think my will should win over your will. And, and now that's a great time for a spanking. What you do is you go over and you, you dust his britches good. And then you say, when I say to you, don't touch the lamp, I mean don't touch the lamp. You must obey me, right? Spanking ought to be reserved for challenges to the wheel. But I want to warn you about something. You're going to pay your dues, parents. I mean, we all do. You've got to pay your dues with reference to the subject we're talking about here in disciplining your children. Now, now you can do it when they're younger, and they're pliable in their, their characters and their hearts and their wills. 
Or you, you can wait until they're teenagers and you, you can try to correct these things then and, and work. But, but I'm telling you, it's, it's not going to be the same. It'll be a lot more difficult. Let's, let's make some rules about discipline. And um, I want to make several, and I, I hope that, that you can use these suggestions. One of them would be don't yell at your children. Don't, don't yell at them. Now, I'm not talking about if, if you, you have one about to cross the highway and there's a semi coming. That's not what I mean. I mean, when you're disciplining your children, you want them to obey you, not because you're loud and scary and somewhat out of control. You want them to obey you because you're mama, you're, you're, you're daddy. And, and I want you to obey me simply because I'm in authority and you're to obey me because I'm your parent. Now, why is that important? Why must it be on that level? The answer is because because your objective is rearing them into adults one day who are happy, faithful, productive Christians. That is, people who submit to the authority of God. And where do people best learn to submit to the authority of God? And the answer is by, by learning how to submit to their mom and dad. Adults can learn it later, you know, the, the principle of obedience. But I'm telling you, it's a whole lot easier to learn it when you're a kid and learn it from your mom and dad. Don't, don't yell at your children. Don't lie to your children. What I mean by that is this. If you, if you promise that a particular behavior will bring about a spanking, then you, you make sure that you fulfill that promise. Uh, I, I had a good friend one time who was in my office visiting and we were having a talk, just a fine man, who had a small girl. I think she was probably four or five years old and she was over there looking at my look, my books in my library there. I have shelves of books and she was looking at them. It didn't, it didn't bother me because she wasn't hurting anything and so it was okay with me. But it wasn't okay with him and so he turned to her and saw that she was pulling at the books and he said, don't touch the books. And so we continued our conversation and she, uh, she continued touching the books, which made it difficult for me to focus on what he was talking about because I was wondering what was about to happen. Anyway, he turned and looked at her and he said, I told you not to touch the books. If you keep doing that, I'm going to spank you. Now don't touch the books. We continued our conversation and she continued touching the books. Well now, that was very interesting. I really wondered what was going to happen now. And in a few minutes, he turned and looked and realized that she was still doing what he said not to do. And he just promised a spanking. And you know what had happened then? He walked over to her. He took her up in his arms. We continued our conversation. That was it. That was the end of that. Now I want to ask you a question. Why don't you suppose she did what he said when he said it? You already know the answer to that. It was because she knew her daddy was a liar. He'd lied to her before. She knew that he didn't mean it when he said it. And that's why, although I heard one thing, what she heard was some, something different. I mean, he said, don't touch her, I'll spank, but he didn't really mean it, and she knew he didn't mean it. And I ask you this question. So, who won? Oh, no, wait a minute, wait a minute. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, you're thinking the little girl won. I mean, we know that the dad didn't win, but may I suggest to you that that little girl didn't win either? And it's not about books. It's about something inside of her that's important. It's something really important is that she lost out on an opportunity that day to learn a, a system of authority that one day is going to be extremely critical to her in reference to the authority of God and her dad failed her. 
don't lie to your children. I, I don't know. It's just not about discipline with reference to, to the, the lying thing. I don't want you to lie to them when you promise something pleasant. If you say to your son, on Friday afternoon, I'm going to come home early from work at 3 o'clock and I'm going to play ball with you. Now, he's looking forward to that. You, you be sure you don't fail to keep that appointment. You may have a client come in, you know, at 10 till 3 and you say, I tell you what, I, here's what you should say. I, I've got a very important appointment that I've got to keep and, and I will, I'll be happy to service your needs later. You be sure that you take care of that because you've got to keep your word with your children. Don't count to your children. Don't, don't count, count to them. And I, I don't know if you do this, and I think you probably know what I'm talking about. You, you, you say to your, your little girl now, honey, I want you to pick up your shoes and put them in the closet. And so she, she ignores you, and you say, one, two, and then you, you, know, you break into fractions, three and a half, four, you know, and you, so you know, what, what, what you're communicating is that, that when I'm in this particular mood, that when I say do something, I don't really mean it. I mean, I don't mean that you have to do it now. I'm going to stretch it out so you don't have to do it right now when I say it. But when I count, then that means now let's get this done. However, in, in some homes, what it is is that tomorrow you're going to feel a little more stress, a little more pressure going on, and you say, honey, pick up the shoes and put them in a closet. And she still thinks you're going to do the counting thing, but you don't do the counting thing on that day. And, and she gets a spanking and what you build is confusion. No wonder the Bible says, don't provoke them to wrath lest they become discouraged. Colossians 3 and 21. If they, a child, a child who is consistently disciplined, who knows the rules, who is taught with clarity and, and with compassion but, but knows the rules, is content, is, is well balanced and is happier than a child who is strictly disciplined, but it's inconsistent. You, you don't want to do that because they, what they get is a confusing message. And one more thing about that, one more thing is that moms and dads have to be alike on this. You want, the Bible talks about provoking them to wrath or to confusion, discouragement. You, you, you do that sometimes when you have parents who say different things. And, 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 and very often in divorce situations, you have a problem with this because they're vying for the attention of the children. And so one parent will permit something which the other parent finds objectionable and will try to, try to prohibit. Never lose a contest of the wills. When your children test your will, you must always win that. You must, you must always win. And the reason is that, that if your children learn that they can pitch a fit, a temper tantrum, and, and uh, in so doing that they, they win, next time there's a conflict, that, that's what's going to happen again because they, they know what button to push. And they must know that you're going to be mama. You're, you're going to be the daddy. And, and your will is what is going to win. And what you're doing is, is a favor. You're helping their characters to be, to be what they should be. And the Bible says to train them up in the way that they should go. And when they're old, they'll not depart from it. I recently conducted a funeral. I suppose I've conducted about as many as most average preachers. This one was particularly difficult because it was a, a teenage young man. And, and in this particular case, uh, he, he liked drugs and he liked alcohol and he liked racing cars with his friends at the, 
in the middle of the night, and that's what they were doing. And the front of his car made contact at a very rapid speed with an oak tree. And his friends, who were drunken like he was, held him out there in the grass two o'clock in the morning until he died. And the funeral director called and asked me if I would come and conduct this funeral, that, that they had some back t background in the Church of Christ. And would I, I didn't know them, but I said, of course I will, of course. And we had a crowded chapel filled with teenagers, teenagers very demonstrative of their emotions. And I, I, I guess I said to them things that you would expect me to say. I, I talked about the Lord Jesus Christ and I talked about alcohol and drugs and about realities. And I, I begged them to, to acknowledge the realities of our existence and their dependence on God and the, the requirements which God makes on us. The funeral was finished and we went out to the cemetery which was out in the country and we were, we were waiting for everybody to get there. There was, there was loud music playing and I knew that I wasn't going to finish that service out there with that music playing. But they turned it off when it was time and everything was all right. So we're around the casket and we're about to, to have the preacher. I was about to say the things that were to be said. And this, this, this car, this hopped up Mustang roared by the cemetery. And I thought, oh my, if, he'd, if he knew how serious this moment was, he wouldn't be doing that. At which time the pallbearer, a teenager next to me, leaned over and said, he's one of the pallbearers. It was, it, was a, it was a strange atmosphere. Anyway, everything got quiet. I conducted that service and it was finished. And so people were milling about and, and two different mothers, unaware of the other, came to me and said essentially the same thing. And it went like this. Brother Collie, you, you, see, that, you see that boy over there? Yes, ma'am. That's my son. And she said, I want you to know that what he's doing is is what Mason did, talking about the deceased. And I'm so scared. I don't know what to do. Another one said, my daughter. You see my daughter? Yes, ma'am. She's doing what Mason did. And I, I'm so afraid that this is going to happen to my daughter. And what can I do? And in both cases, I, I said, ma'am, are, are you a Christian? In both cases, they said similar things. They said, I, I was. I used to be a member of the church, but you know, one thing led to another. I've, I've been so busy and I just, I just dropped out and I, I haven't been to worship in oh, years and years. Here's what I, I want you to do, I said. Here's what I want you to do. I, I want you to go home tonight and, and find a quiet place. Incidentally, those kids had a party planned for that night. I want you to go home. I want you to sit down with your son or your daughter and say this. This funeral today reminded me of the brevity of life and about some things that, I, that I've been neglecting, that, I, that I've been forgetting. But I tell you what I'm going to do. This Sunday, I'm going back to the Lord's church. I'm going to be restored and I'm going to be a faithful Christian. And then I said, beg your son or your daughter to come with you. Now, I don't know if that'll be effective or not. You know, because it's late in the game. The point that I want to make is, is to you that, that we've got to do these things early. We've got to start early for this to be effective. And it has to do with, with early on with discipline and with consistency. So what should I do when my child's temper flares at me? Well, I think there are a couple of things. Uh, first of all, uh, this has got to be our philosophy. Uh, when my child's temper flares, what happens has to be 
ineffective, I mean their, their temper has to be ineffective and at some point counterproductive, right? In other words, I, I can't yield my will to, to temper. And you've got, got to start, again, very young on this one. They, they start wanting to slam things or kick things. Just don't ever put up with that. By the time they're old enough to slam doors, they're old enough to reason that if I pitch a fit, my mother or my father will spank me. And so I'm not going to do that. There are teachable moments. I have, I have a good friend who, whose son was about seven years old. That year, the, the, the toy of preference for boys his age was, I think, called a laser blaster. I don't know. It was, it was some sort of a toy gun. Uh, anyway, he wanted one something awful. Well, his grandmother had bought one for him. And she had it under the bed at her house. It was about November, and so she was going to give it to him for Christmas. Well, he, you know, he didn't know that. That was a secret. His dad and he were at the toy store one day picking up something for someone else. And as they walked about the store, they came upon a laser blaster. And the boy said, oh, Daddy, I, I, I really want a laser blaster. You, you've got to buy me a, a laser blaster. No, no, son, we're not going to buy a laser blaster today. But Daddy, you, you don't understand. I want one so bad. And if I never get another toy in my whole life, I want a laser blaster. No, no, son, we're not going to get a laser blaster today. He had a fit. I mean, he, he had what we call, a, he had a come apart. And so he go, the boy goes down to his knees and begins to scream and holler. He has a temper tantrum. <laughs> his father who is a devout Christian, a good man, he, he went down on his knees and went eye to eye with that boy and said, let me tell you, you calm down, calm down. Do you know why we're not getting a laser blaster today? He said, see, your grandmother already bought you one for Christmas. It's under her bed at her house. But I'm going to call your grandmother and tell her to take the laser blaster back to the store because of the way you've behaved today. And I just want to know, I, you know, as long as you live, you're never going to have a laser blaster. And I want to know, is there any other toy in this store that you don't want to have forever? <laughs> well, you say, that's very strong. I suppose it is. But, but next time he was tempted to throw a temper tantrum, don't you suppose he thought twice? That, that, that's the point. There was a teachable moment there. And, and I, I want to suggest to you that, that having... A problem with controlling your temper is something that can follow you all of your life and negatively influence your life as long as you live. You've got to get that under control early if you love that child. So uh, next, remember that the favors you do are favors. I, I, think, I think in reference to the rearing of our kids, entitlements are killing us. Kevin Lehman had a, has a book entitled how to Have a New Kid by Friday. Maybe you've heard of it. In that book, he talks about four-year-old Matthew. Matthew is um, one day riding along with his mother in their van. And I know he was mad about something. I think it was about the strap in his kid's seat, his child's seat. But his mother didn't do what he wanted. And, and so Matthew uses the strongest weapon he has at his disposal. And he says, Mama, I hate you. Hmm. Now, personally, I, I think I'd have stopped the van and given him a good spanking. But, but you know what? Spanking is not always the best thing. In, in this case, according to Lehman's book, why, she didn't say much. She went on home. And it was in the afternoon. And every afternoon at 3 o'clock, they have cookies and milk. 
That's their tradition. And kids are often very regimented. And it came to be 3 o'clock. And, and so Matthew says to his mom, Are, are we going to have cookies and milk? Where's the cookies and milk? Mom said, We're not having cookies and milk today. What? what? Well, why not? Mom said, because of the way you talked to me in the van today, it was very ugly. And I'm not going to have you talk to me that way. It was not right. It was wrong and very ugly. And we're not having cookies and milk today. At which time, Matthew just kind of, kind of has a breakdown. You know, he, he begins to cry and apologize. And I'm so sorry that I said, Mom, I'm, I'm so, I'll never do that again. I never, never will. That's a teachable moment. Good. And so mom's, mom gets down on her knees with him where he can look her in the eye and explains why that's wrong. You must never, never do it again. And I'm glad to know that you've decided not to do it again. And now let's go on with our day. And she gets up and she walks off. Well, he follows her. Mama, can we have cookies and milk now? <laughs> now, this is a real teachable moment. And the answer is no. No. no uh, we're not, I told you we're not having cookies and milk today because of the way you acted. Do you suppose that tomorrow... Matthew is going to think twice before he tells his mama that he hates her? Again, I repeat, you know why it's so important that your children learn how to control temper? James chapter 3 and verse 5 of the Bible says, Even so the tongue is a little member, it boasts great things. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members defiles the whole body. It sets on fire the course of nature. You know what that means? That means a person can be his own enemy, his own worst enemy all his life. The course of nature means the wheel of life. You ever known anybody who had trouble controlling their tongues and all of their lives they had problems as a result of that? Well, what we've got to do as parents is try to protect our children and we've got to rear them with an understanding of controlling their own temper. I read an article the other day from a mother whose college-educated college son was, had moved back in with her. He hasn't found a job and he gets up late and spends most of his days in his underwear, doesn't keep his room. And she mulled that over and she summarized and said this, he's like this because number one, the economy isn't good. And number two, because of the parent, the kind of parent I was to him.